Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Shop Talk Show. We have two perfect sponsors for you. This episode, Environments for Humans, promoting their responsive web design summit. That's rwdsummit.com. Coming up soon now. This is getting closer. It's three days happening, March 10th through 12th. It's an online conference. Use discount code SHOPTALK to save 20% off the ticket price from that. And lynda.com online learning resource. Go to lynda.com slash shop talk. Sign up for your 10-day free trial. We'll tell you more about both those things in the show. Let's kick things off. To another episode of the Shop Talk Show podcast, all about front end web design development um, and uh, <laughs> LARPing. Uh, we also cover <laughs> live action role playing. Chris, who's with us today? <sighs> it's always a mystery with you, Dave. <laughs> LARP, that's good. I like it. I, have you? I've been getting into this podcast called uh, The Adventure Zone, where these guys to uh dungeons and dragons with their dad it's so great anyway and they just record it it. and put put it out yeah yeah it's a little uh not safe for work but that's kind of how uh well put on your headphones dungeons and dragons might go yeah there you go we have with us mr dan denny sorry there hi guys yeah uh, Dan Denny. <laughs> that's my Oprah. That's pretty good. I was, I just saw that that bees gif from Oprah when she gets all excited and unleashes the bees. That was a dang fine gif. Yes, that might it be is my favorite of the year. Dan, you're you are from Code School, right? That's your primary yes. vocation these days. Uh, yep, uh, front end dev mostly. Yeah. At, uh, to building the website, which serves Code School, right? Yeah, so I like do kind of like, that a bit, um, and then I spend a good amount of time on like the HTML emails that go out for them. Right. Tell us all about everything about that. Uh, about, you know, not even necessarily with email. But, I mean, we'll get there for sure because it's interesting stuff. But about your whole job and everything. Yeah, so um, I've been there. I guess it's going on three years, um, and so. I work on like the the dot com and uh, individual courses. So what Code School is is like we teach, uh, we have the ability for people to learn how to do certain types of code in the browser. And so that means we have like you might be able to do like introduction to Ember, and then you go through and learn how to like write Ember code in the browser. And so we do individual front end dev on like those types of courses. And then also we have to do all of the marketing site. And then I'm the only lucky one that does the uh, the HTML emails for everyone. Right. And so, I mean, like like any business or web app or whatever, I'm sure there's a ton of them, right? So do you, do you, do you kind of classify them as like transactional emails and marketing emails? Certainly it's more than just like, I don't know, every, every third of the month we send out a what's new email. I'm sure it's more in-depth than that. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's, it is pretty in-depth. So we have around, like it's somewhere in the range of like 30 to 40 transactional emails. So that's like an email that goes out whenever some kind of event happens, anything from like a password reset to signing up for a new account. Um, And then Mm -hmm. we also do usually like four or five promotional emails throughout the month. So that would be our newsletter and then a weekly either feature announcement or course announcement, something along those lines. Mm -hmm. Do you guys do a drip thing too or not? Like uh, I you sign you have we noticed that <laughs> you haven't used this feature yet or some things that kind of like analyzes accounts and or or like it's been seven days since you've signed up how are you feeling about life 
Yes. Yeah. We have a few of those. Um, not Some of them aren't as advanced as we would like to get yet. Uh, the, the data gets a little complicated sometimes, but we have these things that are like hall passes. So you get like two days free. And then if you don't subscribe, you get like, you can continue on by sharing it. You get extra days and things like that. So that has been like oh. one of our drip programs, which is really interesting. Um, and you have to mix that in with like orientation ones that are kind of queued up to show you like all the various features as you sign up. So that, that requires a little complexity and like staggering those and, and uh, introducing people to the site as well as their opportunity to, to get free time. Right. It's such an important thing because it's just, it's probably the, one of the top engagement things for, for any web app is like, you have to have good emails. You have to have a system for it. Uh, and so you're the you're the man behind that system, at least at Code School. Yeah, I get the front uh, end of anyway. I don't do all the writing, which is another whole another level of complexity. Yeah, right. I feel like email, good or bad, can make or break a web app. Uh, like any sort of business, it's just if you do it poorly, that you're like direct to people's eyeballs in the morning, being really bad, and that's. <laughs> Very bad for your business. Do you do you feel that pressure? Uh, yes, definitely. Like, and especially because you know we all work in the industry and we get all of these emails, and so I worry about it extra, just in what I'm sending out to everyone. So, like, I worry about it a lot to make sure because, like, it, our crowd is extra finicky, <laughs> even beyond like the the standard user of of a web app, because it's a whole bunch of people that are also building the web. Yeah, and I'm sure. I think at one time you said that you you save some of your favorite like response emails of people that are like, "Oh my god, can you? What business do you have teaching the web when there's a obvious mistake in the HTML of this email?" Yeah, <laughs> I have a good collection of those, and I use like the uncrate um, the stock photos, and then I just like put it over there, like it's supposed to be a nice motivational thing, but it's someone <laughs> destroying. It's me. like the sunset <laughs> on a beach with like a super rude email. Yes, <laughs> uh, that's my favorite. I have a folder in my email inbox that's just called hater mail, and I'd like to just pour through it and just see how bad people's lives have gotten. <laughs> yeah, they. People go an extra mile to let you know when you do something they don't like, that's for sure. So you have a system that's probably a little bit above and beyond the average email system though. Like I I do this too for CodePen, but my system is lame, you know. Like I built a little you know, like, I don't know. We're, we we try to improve it here and there, but it's not as because fa- I've heard you actually talk about this at a at a conference before. Your whole your whole like workflow and building setup for these emails. Yeah, that was um, that was another thing because you know HMO email it, it has a really bad rap, but it mostly deserves it. You know, just from like the amount of uh, weird code that you have to use and the amount of clients and trouble that there is, and to keep from going insane, I wanted to use like modern front end flows as much as possible. So being able to use things like Haml and SAS and uh, you know some sort of automation was really important. So I've played with a couple different systems. Um, I'm actually not using middleman now, but I was using Jekyll for a, for a long time. And then I released like a, an open source version of that for everyone to like peek at. So you use Jekyll then to generate your email templates. Like, so you just put in a little YAML front matter and spit out a template. Yeah. Uh, a lot of it. Wow. So the one problem is like, you know, just basic things. Like if you have a logo in your header and that changes, um, over time, you have to update that in every single email that you have that's going out on a regular basis. So you still have to touch the HTML in all of them, but like using like Jekyll in a partial, I can make that change once and then have it update all the files and then go through and manually paste code into the various providers. Right. You need some kind of templating system to get this done. And while you're at it, you might as well, you know, Add in technology that you want to use, like Haml makes sense for you, so you write in that. And it's not like the emails go out in Haml, of course; it just all gets processed down to HTML, and right. And then then you end up with some kind of final HTML product, and yeah, that's yeah, goes that's out exactly how it works. 
Do you have a what's the what's the do you have to inline all your styles? Do you have like a build step that does that part? I, I'm going back and forth with that. So I used to I wrote most of it in line because it's just it's you're just used to it after a little while. But um, then I've been trying Premailer, which is an inliner. The only flaw that I've had with that is it's not perfect. So like now went went from like write, uh, build, test, and now it's like write, build, fix, test. And so like mm-hmm. it, it's nice that you get to use classes and you get to separate your styles out a bit. But it just does a couple of things that I have to go through and fix every time it builds, which causes problems. Yeah, I could see that. It's like not it's not actually saving you time if you have to fix its output every time. Yeah, and I yeah, I shipped a message the other day with a a bad merge variable. So like a couple hundred emails went out with like broken image links because it like mm. changed it to uh, the HTML entities. Oh right, because like the quotes were. Some kind of weird right, thing. Yeah. Of it's like a pipe like and the asterisk. And so like it changed those out. And you can't see that unless you can actually run like the test coming with real data. Yeah. So then what what actually sends for you guys? Do you use like Mandrill or Campaign Monitor or Yeah, we use MailChimp for all the promotionals and then a few of the like um welcome to code school type emails. And then mm-hmm. Mandrill for every other transactional. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. What do you uh, use for yours? Because I know like you have a really cool system with Copen. What actually does the sending? It's Mandrill too. Okay, yeah. cool. Uh, just because you need, you need something like that kind of. Like doing it yourself is not a good scenario because no. you, you send so many... Like your deliverability is going to suck, and you might get blacklisted from stuff. And it's just like the email is like the perfect can, thing to outsource. Can somebody explain Mandrill for the uninitiated? Oh, sure. With a typical like email service provider like Mailchimp or uh, Campaign Monitor, uh, you're basically like creating a template or a campaign and like sending that out automatically. Um, and then with Mandrill, you can actually hook in through an API. So sending can occur based on events in your application. So you create a template that sits in Mandrill. Your application creates an event that then sends the trigger to send that email out. Okay. So like on when I hit the submit button, the submit button on the signup page, it'll fire out a Mandrill email. Or send it'll tell hey Andrew or Mandrill send an email, right? Which, right. It's okay. actually even right. simpler than that. Like like you can't do that with Campaign Monitor or Mailchimp or whatever. Like there's no like API that's just open that's like send one email to one person with this content in it. Yeah. And that's all. That's all Mandrill and the Campaign Monitor has a version of Mandrill too. I forget what they call it, but it's just kind of it's just a, a dead simple API. You send it a request with an with an email address and a subject line and the copy of that email, and that's all on you. Like the styles better be in line. That email better be good to go. Because it's going to go as soon as that API gets you know gets sent out, and then maybe you'll get a response that's like that bounced or whatever. Like there's a few companies, but it's just a dead simple API. So if, if you need to send out ten thousand emails, for example, you have to you have to write the code that loops through and sends ten thousand API requests to send all those emails. Like you're on your own with this, but it what the advantage of it is it's super cheap. Yeah, it yeah. is. Uh, you know, cool. you, you couldn't afford to send you know ten thousand emails every day or something with Mailchimp. It would just be too expensive, and that's fine. You know, like there, it's not it's not that they're an overpriced product or anything. It's just it's not built for that. Mandrill's their workhorse API version that makes that stuff affordable. Well, and if you've ever had your server get email blacklisted, that's a problem. Oh, it's yeah. end of days. You're done. Yeah. Uh, yeah, your app's down for days. So. Anyway, it sounds awesome. Hey. That's pretty cool. And I I didn't even really know this, but it was kind of you guys were bought or something by Plural Site, or maybe it always was the case or something. Is it, are you just how did that go down? Oh yeah, no, that's brand new news. Um, that's uh, just in the last couple of weeks. Um, and that's oh really? Yeah, yeah. It's been really cool. It's been an exciting time. 
Um, I worked in a couple startups before Code School, but this was obviously the biggest one that I worked in. And so it's been wild to be part of an acquisition. Yeah, yeah. So it was a part of Envy Labs. Like it was like a side project for Envy Labs, right? Right. There in Orlando. And then you guys kind of spun it off into two separate concerns. And then, and now you have a recent acquisition. Yep, exactly. <laughs> what I guess what what is I guess you have been kind of along for that whole ride. What how has that experience been? Like all of a sudden you're at one company and now you work for another company. What what I guess what what does that feel like? Um, how does that? It go? was a lot of fun. There was one actually like funny moment. So when we realized that we were splitting, we needed to split the companies because trying to plan out a year was getting complicated. Um, Everybody worked hourly and you could kind of choose what projects you were working on. So you might work on a course for code school and then you might work on a client project. And that got a little tricky to try and plan out the ability to execute a bunch of things over the year. So we needed to split. But then when we split, you had to officially resign from Envy Labs if you were going to code school. And someone made it a point that it was kind of funny that I like signed my resignation paper first before like signing like the <laughs> offer letter for code school, which obviously nothing ever would have happened, but it was just kind of a funny thing. Yeah, you're just uh, unemployed through lunch. <laughs> <laughs> but other than so that, you could have got lost in the shovel. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that would have been bad. <laughs> other than that, it's been really, really cool. It's just kind of interesting to see a project that turned off as something or started off as something on the side grow into a full blown product then its own company, and then get enough attention and growth that it got picked up by an even bigger company. Mm. I'd love to ride those waves. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, we'll see. Um, And if any of you all know Dan, it may be from, because Dan ran the front-end design conference for a whole bunch of years. So, So all this, we've been talking about code school and stuff, that's in Orlando, Florida. But Dan, you actually live in the Tampa-esque area, right? Right, yeah. And then ran that conference, which was in St. Pete. And uh, yeah, what was, I mean, we've talked about it here before. I think you even sponsored us way back in the day, at least for a little while. But I've been to a whole bunch of these front-end design conferences. Me and Dave did a live shop talk at one of these, which was probably the one of the most listened to and fun shop talks we've ever did was was live at the Palladium Theater. That's what it, that's what it's called, isn't it? Live at the Palladium. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, that's what it's called. That was so awesome, and I smile so big whenever I'm like driving and listening to the show, and I hear the like just build websites, like the big crowd version. That was so cool. <laughs> oh yeah, that was everybody from Front End Conference that year. And here, here we'll play it again. This is everybody from Front End, like hundreds of people. Just That was great. So it really was good. The crowd had the right cadence, you know. Yeah, it was. That good. was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what? What? And then, and then, we had the last one in Portland not so long ago, and now, and then, and then it was kind of like, well, Dan's just too busy. Things, some, you know, life changes and stuff, and and then, and then it was resurrected in a way. Yes. All the, so yeah, tell us the whole amazing. story, maybe. So um, I started it. Uh, back in 2009. Um, and that was because at the time I was new to the industry and I was learning from, you know, sites like CSS Tricks and Smashing Mag and Boag World. And at the time I was like, there's no way I'm going to be contributing anything back to the industry for quite a while, code wise or uh, intelligence wise. And so, (laughs) (laughs) um, and so I was like, well, I, something that I could do is, you know, get a bunch of people together. So I worked on that. I picked up, you know, just reached out to all my, my web heroes at the time at the moment and, uh, and ran the conference and then it went well and we did it for, uh, six more times after that. Um, and it was awesome. I, it was the greatest thing I've ever done. I met so many wonderful people and had such a good time. But as you mentioned it, um, you know, lifestyle changes happened. My uh, wife who did all the work for the conference is now a flight attendant. And so she's actually doing other work (laughs) now. Um, and so we decided to end it and then people rallied up and everybody wanted it to continue so much that the great folks at unmatched style picked it up. And so they're going to keep it going 
in St. Petersburg, which is where we started it and where it'll continue for the foreseeable future. Yeah, and, pretty sweet. Yeah. I'll be yeah. I'll be at it again this year, so that's good. You're going to attend, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, so like what we're doing um is I'm actually helping out a lot. So we like talk offline, you know, we talk about mm-hmm. various things and then um I'm going to help MC and just be a big part of it all the way through. Um, and so I was so glad that like you were actually coming out for this because like having you out has been like a tradition of Frenin Conference, so it's really really cool. Yeah, nice. And it, it's not it's not you know what's nice about it is it's not like it doesn't really feel like an end and a rebirth. I mean, it does a little bit, but it's like like Gene and and Jay have come to it every year too, at least that I can remember, and they have. Um, uh, the Converge conferences, which is that there's one of those coming up too that that people feel pretty similarly about. I think you know they're also really good conferences, and you know so to have them run it, it's not like it's not like you know the Borg bought it up and it's just <laughs> going to be pumped for money or anything. It's just it's still a homegrown cool. It'll just be like it always was, probably. Yeah, I think it, it was the perfect outcome because I've like you said I, they've come down for. Every, the last six and I've gone mm-hmm. up there for that for converge for the last six too. So it's it's just we've been friends for like six years. Which is mm-hmm. really cool. And they're just making a run at 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 running more conferences to see if they can do it, I think. And I think they are doing it. So they have Converge and then Converge grew into having a Florida version and then they picked up uh the the Beyond the Desktop mm-hmm. conferences too. So they're Running all of those, and so they're you know they're conference moguls these days. Yeah, they're even running Grok this year too, which is another really cool one. Oh, wow, awesome, nice. And I I think just while we're talking about conferences, we should talk about our other favorite people that do conferences, which is Environments for Humans. Literally, the three of you guys, I feel so strongly that those are the best. I love these conferences. Anyway, they do um, in person conferences too. And as a matter of fact, they they announced the location of the next CSS DevConf, which is going to be on the Queen Mary in Long Beach, California. So they're keeping Dang. up with their, <laughs> keeping up with their uh, having CSS Conf at like super crazy epic places. Yeah, which I can't wait for. So I'll definitely be at that. Uh, but I'm also going to be at there. So that, I mean, we can put a link in the show notes to that. I'm not sure how much they're promoting that yet. I think probably some, you know, like I think yeah. there's early bird tickets are for sale for it, but uh, that's the CSS DevConf. But the one that's coming up sooner that you don't have to travel to Long Beach, California to go to is the Responsive Web Design Summit. That's rwdsummit.com. Um, that me and Dave will both be at again. So we're going to be at, you know, we're going to be at, I'm going to be at front end dev or front end comp. I think Dave's considering it. We'll see, not to put you on the spot. Uh. (laughs) It's my, my sister-in-law is graduating from dentistry school. It's just causing a scheduling ruckus. Oh, is there? I can't uh, well, imagine what a dentistry school graduation party is like. Not to derail this thing, but I imagine them no, like I, marching on a giant tooth. Yeah, yeah. We just there's a tooth shaped cake. <laughs> there's there's so no sugar in it though. It's yeah. Sugar. You crack it open, it just blood pours out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, so we'll be at that. We'll be. At, <laughs> we're gonna be at CSS like DevConf. Uh, but RWD Summit is the online one that anybody can attend from anywhere in the world. March twelfth, tenth through twelfth. Uh, Shop Talk is the discount coupon for twenty percent off the ticket, which is you know works for one day. You want to go for two days. You want to go for three days. Go for it. Um, yeah, lots of stuff to talk about. Lots of guests that you'll recognize from Shop Talk Show going to be there. It's just going to be an old good time party reunion. So check out rwdsummit.com. All right. Um, God, I'm glad we got to talk about all that stuff. Should we get into questions? Do we have any more questions? Let's get into questions and answers. Um, Julia Eichner, Renton, what are you using for build process when developing it's that's I think that's we it it's a one on sentence a yeah I, I like it it is it's nice in that it's kind of like let's all maybe we should talk about build process a little bit or like maybe pick one project that we all work on and and explain what our build process is for it but i i also caution people to be like when somebody tells you what their build process is it doesn't mean that like that's the coolest build process and whatever your project is you should use that build process too uh, because build processes are so specific to the thing that you're working on that it's like 
I don't know. Just you should do what's right for you. So it's more like a show and tell than it is a recommendation party, maybe, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Dave? Dan, or yeah, Dan, I guess you kind of already shared. Are you kind of Jekyll um, Middlesmith all day long? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Uh, so I, uh, working with Middleman or Jekyll was like my first real attempt at doing any kind of build flow. Um, cause most of the time we're, uh, we work in a rails app and so we're very, very spoiled in that. And that build is not really a concern of the front end devs. So everything is kind of already handled. I can just write Haml, I can write SAS. I don't have to be concerned about the actual build process. So yeah, using a different, something outside of that has been where I'm learning and I'm just using the, the tools in there. Uh, so direct gems and middleman or Jekyll themselves. No gulping cool. or grunting or any of that fun stuff. Really? Well, mm, but I guess you are kind of like doing things like, or you took it out into a prototype first to see if like you could get Jekyll going. Yes. And then you, then it kind of upstreamed into the main app. Is that kind of the deal? Yeah. So it's still like, as far as like where all the emails are, they sit by themselves on this outside thing. So we have a separate repo in our GitHub that, you just if you want to run them, you just pull down the the Jekyll or middleman version and then run it. Sweet. I was just curious about the uh, the because I feel like there's there's like inline stylers. There's a probably a variety of them for both grunt and gulp that might be worth playing with, especially if that one that you use breaks stuff. Yeah, um, Lee Monroe actually has a fantastic. I'll put it in the chat. Um, he has a fantastic workflow. Um, for email specifically too. So I'll pop that in mm-hmm. the chat. Isn't he? Isn't he at Mailgun or some one of those places yeah. right now? Yep. Cool. Cool. I think Mailgun uh, is probably about the same thing that that Mandrill is, right? Like it's kind of like API for sending email. Generally, I believe loved. so. Yeah, I haven't used it, but but I believe so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can share my current favorite setup. I've been doing a lot of Jekyll, 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 Jekyll. Um, and I have a workflow where I'm using Gulp um, to fire up a browser sync server that serves my Jekyll site folder. Instead of like Jekyll doing its thing, I'm running a browser sync to hook into the site folder. And then Jekyll, or gulp also watches for changes and then triggers a gulp build, which does that make sense? Are we following along? Yep. Okay. <laughs> so it's been really cool because I I am in love with browser sync right now. It, it just you fire it up once. You could open all four desktop browsers and you like control one, or you could tap into the desktop browser from like a testing device iPad thing and then you're driving all four browsers on your screen from the iPad. It's like it's like god mode for web development. I love it. So that's kind of been my kind of setup of choice, but again, like being in I guess a a Jekyll world is a bit of a privilege. It's a little it's a little nice. So yes, that's where I'm at. Nice. I don't, you know, my, mine's pretty simple. I also work, you know, CodePen is a Rails app, so our, you know, our build is just it uses the asset pipeline for all that for for most of the stuff. And then I have a, a guard watches stuff and and triggers live reload, which is like you know starting to feel a little long in the tooth. I wish it was was browser sync. I probably could get that going. You know the the. The beauty of browser sync being that like clicks and scrolls and all that stuff are synced, which is pretty rad mm-hmm. for multiple uh, clicks and scrolls and forms. Yeah, so. pretty nice. Uh, I've also been playing around with building an app using Ionic framework. I don't know if you guys are familiar, but it's basically PhoneGap with a iOS eight CSS. If that helps you think about it, it's kind of just like standard components, iOS components in a like phone gap wrapper. So Cordova. So you just install it. Oh, and it all says Angular. That was a bit of a learning curve, how Angular all works. But um, yeah, you use Angular for your data. You grab that from somewhere. You 
start spitting out HTML templates. Pretty sweet. So nice. I I still uh, do use uh, CodeKit for a lot of stuff too. Just just for when it's just me working on something and I just need those few features, I use it. CodePen sometimes too. Ching. Uh, <laughs> you wanna you wanna that <laughs> we can do that one. Uh, but we can. Uh, People in the chat room are talking about Jekyll 3 beta was released recently, um, a couple of weeks ago, and apparently it's super faster. So there you go, Jekyll 3. That's come up before on the show, actually, when people are talking about like what is the what is the, like the moment at which Jekyll might be a little bit too slow. You know, like how long does it take to to build the entire Jekyll site when you post a new? You know, like you know, even because you might have to do it a lot. You know, like if you, especially if you have a watch task on like on your posts folder, and you like, you know, you're writing a paragraph and you hit save, and then oh, I missed a comma, put it in, hit save, and that's triggering a Jekyll build. If you have two thousand posts in there, which you know that's that's probably high end, but still, it's feasible. You know, I have more posts than that on CSS tricks. So, is it is that ridiculously slow, or is there some kind of like thing in Jekyll that's like well? Don't don't trigger the whole build. Just build the parts that you need. Yeah, I, I mean, or maybe Jekyll three know. solves I think, this. I think they just I think they just found out where they're like kind of doing really bad code and they clean that up. Uh, just like speed improvements in general. I mean, I just ran Jekyll on this site that has like I don't know like thirty different pages and Oops. like different templates and stuff, and it took. Three point nine two milliseconds. So oh, milliseconds. Yeah, okay. Milliseconds. Right. So pretty good. That's pretty good. Jekyll. I'd say that's yeah. pretty good. Indecipherable. And bad. it has like a whole style guide in it and stuff like that. Like so, it's like hyper partialed out. So it did pretty well. Anyhow, okay. All right. Well, that's the build Next process. Question. Show and tell. Peter Joseph writes, and I work for a large software company. Uh, and enjoy my work, but but we have weekly meetings discussing non-software things like hitting targets and when to book vacation time and completing your timesheet, which are tolerable at best. Uh, then there are monthly meetings where upper management convey opportunity initiatives and company vision, and the jargon itself is like a cringe-worthy listicle. Occasionally they send out surveys and stuff and I'm always tempted to speak honestly yet I never do because I think it will I don't think it will make a difference and it may be unprofessional unprofessional am I a jerk yes or no uh Peter Joseph mm. just he's 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 not feeling the corporate environment with all these meetings should he speak out I don't know. I don't know. Do you have do you have meetings you go to, Dan? <laughs> do there's there yeah. <laughs> is there uh, opportunity yes. initiatives? That- uh, well, yeah. I mean, there's there's um, there are definitely when you're working on I don't know, specifically a product or a bigger company, there are definitely needs to know where the company's going. Um, so sometimes those meetings are important, but I understand that it can get it can be awful being stuck in a bunch of meetings that have no application directly to the work that you're doing. Um, I would think speaking up honestly but professionally would probably be the best answer. That is a mm. great answer, yeah. Yeah, that's been my thing. Like, like if you work for a company, hopefully they pay you to put up with all this corporate vision stuff. <laughs> um, but it, the the alternative is you work for a company that doesn't have that and it's just – terrible like it'll just fall to shambles so uh so count your blessings hashtag blessed um i i, I don't know I, th- I think like you should if there is a survey just yeah speak honestly but don't don't like be like that guy's a jerk that guy's a jerk he's an idiot you know like you need to be very like like i feel or strongly that we could eliminate Churn by XYZ. Play their game. Use their words. Why not? Mm-hmm. That's, that's good advice, put a, too. Put on a shirt with buttons. Get there. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the greatest trick a developer can ever pull. Wear a shirt with buttons. 
And people people are all like, we'll go, whoa, hey, you going to a, you going to a wedding? <laughs> <laughs> what I saw when I read this is like those all sound like like somewhat reasonable things to have meetings about. Like you need to explain if if a company has having troubles or needing to tell employees when to book their vacation time, then you need to communicate when to book your vacation time and if if there's problems hitting targets then you need to have a meeting about hitting targets or or you know like these don't seem like too too off the wall like i've heard m- much worse concepts for meetings so it kind of sounds like you know even though these are like probably reasonable meetings to to have that they're like infringing upon your time or that like you're not getting something done or maybe that the way that they're conducted is annoying you or something of course you should be honest ideally that they would be asking you for your feedback anonymously somehow uh that would be better of them but if they're not i would still do dan's advice and say you should you should say what you're going to say but be professional about it i mean feedback is always good i mean they should appreciate what you have to say especially if you say it in a way that's productive and uh, not just you being a jerk, you know. Like, like, don't be a jerk. Of course, don't be a jerk. That's that's <laughs> that's not going to help anything. But these sounds like you know, like I, I like the idea that they, you know, so you're working at a company that does offer you opportunity initiatives. As dumb as that sounds, at least you're not stuck in a role which there are no opportunities or initiatives, and they're and they're having a meeting about vision. Well, at least they have a vision, you know. Like, the, there's worse companies to work for that don't that don't offer any of these things at all. So, um, not that you, not that <laughs> I'm trying to be on their side against you, Peter, but. Uh, but you know, well, I mean, if you work like retail or at McDonald's, you're going to have the same when to book vacation time, completing your timesheet meetings like that. Just that stuff is kind of standard. Uh, but I, there are like maybe what you need to kind of raise the flag about is like, are we having effective meetings? And that's what people in the chat room are saying. Like maybe have a meet. Oliver look in is like not have a meeting without chairs and like it'll be shorter and better for everyone or like don't if a meeting doesn't have an agenda don't go or like make sure an agenda is forced i I think you know the worst thing is when you're in a meeting and people are like so what are we doing you know like i don't know raise the flag on having a meant like purposeful meetings i guess that's what i would say is that good it is I fail. I also work for a three-person company, so don't take my word for it. <laughs> I know. I always have to asterisk stuff like that too. I'm like, well, here's the thing about client work. Blah here's blah blah. Deal. I never do it ever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's do another sponsor. Right. Uh, uh, actually, there's probably a um, a question that would line into it, but I think we should just we should just do it. You know, one of the most common questions that we get here on Chap Talk Show is about like how do I level up? How do I learn more? How do I and there's so many ways that you can do that. Of course, Dave has a, a soundbite that is one of the ways that which you can level up. That one's pretty good. Oh. That one's good. Or just build <laughs> Or how are you going to do learn how to? Um, yeah, they timing. all they all they all feed each other, and uh, uh, we've all been a longtime advocate of doing both. You know, you got to do the work, you got to do the work, but but also you need to like be learning, and and it's nice when somebody can show you how to level up, and you know, so you, you, if you don't have any information coming in, then you're going to build the same website every time. So it's kind of like you got to do the work, but you have to supplement it with training material as well. That's what Lynda.com is. It's probably the the largest learning resource on the web. I say that and I don't, I, they didn't even, it's not like they tell me to say that. I just know that it is because there's thousands of courses on it. So like that's insane. And uh, it's just because they've been been around for so long that that's just the case. 4,500 courses <laughs> on topics like web development, photography, visual design, uh, business, uh, you know, the training and stuff that like you, you probably need training in, but don't even know it, like Excel and stuff. Have you ever seen somebody who rocks at Excel working it? I get to watch it once a month because we have our little financial meeting in the with our accounting person, and they like are flying through Excel in a in like a Google Hangout, and I'm like, wow, you're very good <laughs> at Excel. 
WordPress, Photoshop, all that stuff taught by experts. New courses are added every single week. Uh, so yeah, whether you're you know trying to level up in life or you know try to trying to get into this stuff to to make a little side income or whatever, Lynda.com is a place where you can do that stuff. Um, it is now a 10-day free trial in 2015. So the URL is lynda lynda.com slash shop talk and you get you get it all if you in this free trial. It's not like a limited free trial. You get unlimited access to every single course on there. You get you know access to all those tutorials on their you know iPhone, Android apps, and all that stuff. So you know you'll love it. You'll love it. Try it out. Lynda.com. Uh, what else do we got, Dave? Do you want to pick one out? We got more questions. Here we go. This question is from Aaron. I have been a front-end developer web designer for nearly 15 years with previous experience at an agency and working freelance. I have just landed a gig as a developer at a local marketing agency. From my understanding, they have been using back-end developers to develop front-end websites. Whoa. All right, here we go. (laughs) Cue Halloween sound effects. Uh, They also use designers with a focus in print to create web designs Uh and tackle uh, usability. The designers and developers alike have been resistant to modern web best practices. The phrase pixel perfect is often used and expected that the final product be a mirror image of the mock-up. With experience in UX, mobile, and performance, I would like to bring them up to speed on modern area of web development. Am I fighting a useless battle, or do you have some ideas on how I can relate to the entire team to make a shift? Mm. How do you get a team to modernize this feels flow. like such a classic battle i think dan you have like unique experience in that like you are, have been exposed to so much of this industry through running front end devconf for as long as you did that like that like you have a specific skill set but you also know about lots of different stuff just because you i don't know have been to so many conferences don't you feel like this is like an old fight Yes, absolutely. Um, I run a, a monthly meetup too, and like this question will come up almost every meeting, every meetup, like during like question and answer time. It's like it is it is the ongoing problem in our in our workspace for sure. Wow, and and is it is it because there's no solution for it, or is there one that hasn't been explained well enough? Uh, well, I think the it's because the solution is a people solution. It's not really like a technical solution. You can't you can't really answer it because like what we could do is we could give advice for like how to broach this, and we could give that advice. Like I could say like this is how I did it with the people that I work with at Code School, but those people might not behave in any way like the person who asked the questions team does. So it's it's a tough it's a tough thing to counter. Yeah, that's the best way to put it, right? Like that we can only just give you anecdotal evidence. You it sounds like Aaron, you already know that this is a problem, right? So you probably already know what the solution is too, which is to fix this problem. Um yeah, or just is it's just kind of education. So one of them specifically is they says they're using backend developers to develop the front end of websites. Well, what is the cause of that? Is it because you don't have any front end developers? Probably, right? Because it's not like you have a bunch of front-end developers that are sitting around watching the back-end developers do their job. That's probably not the case. So it might be a a hiring issue or it might be a we didn't even know that we needed front-end developers kind of issue. So you know better than we do. So maybe you can get to the root of that cause, you know? They just don't know who to hire or how to hire, or maybe they they do, but they've been having trouble hiring. In which case, you should use the Code Pen job board to find perfect p- people. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so one point on that too. <laughs> uh, one point on that too is like, how long has like front end dev even really been a position? Like that, it seems like it's only in the last couple of years that like people are actively hiring front end developers. So you're. You know, I'm very used to taking over code from backend developers as a front end dev. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like there's in a lot of companies there's just job title blindness. You know, like like binary job title blindness. The you're a developer here, you can do anything. 
you know, when in reality, there's different kinds of developers, just like there's different kinds of designers. Like, yeah, and, some that, developers, and that that's new. Yeah, some developers like JavaScript or, or specifically JavaScript testing, which is the thing I avoid with my whole life. So, <laughs> so or some people like HTML email, as weird as that is, no judgment zone. But, but uh, you know, there's different kinds of developers. But I feel like, you know, when you're a boss, you're just like, developer, make a codes. And designer make a pretty, and that's that's how they do it. But you know, even in design, there's there's UI designers, there's designers who can code, there's you know, kind of uh, illustrators, there's people who are really good at marketing stuff like that. That's true, and that in the in that all those at least are fairly well understood. But the 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 idea that you need a specifically a front end developer, people might not even be aware of that word. I mean, even now it feels rather new. Imagine when Dan threw the first one. I I I feel like I can I can kind of summon up that emotion a little bit. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't that much of a word at the first one. It was like what front end design conference? What does that mean? Right, yeah, because there weren't front-end developers. It was just kind of like I was just focused on the design portion. And so like it was even before like front-end devs were a yeah. staple in any way. You may have had a, a larger part than you're aware of in like in <laughs> cementing that as a word. You know? Maybe. I, I think so. I definitely got some Google juice because I made the longest URL ever for the conference. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Those 32 character URLs are really, really good. So, is there, I guess, how are there things his company can do to break up with this like pixel perfect, I give you PSDs, you make website sort of mentality? Do you think, do you think there's, Things they can do for a culture shift, or what? What is your experience, Dan? Yeah, um, so pairing turns out to be like the answer that we've come up with most often in code school, and so that's typically taken from like the developers, uh, the way that they work. But what we've been doing now is a designer will still do some kind of like high fidelity comp um, in some graphic program, whatever one they're using. But then that'll be a rough, almost like a high fidelity like uh, wireframe. And then front end dev will start building that out, and then they'll sit together and like work out final details on things or animations or for final touches on the layout. It just turns out that you have to have people working together to tackle problems rather than siloed off and then going back to the old like waterfall approach. Yeah, I feel like the waterfall approach just breeds hatred. Like, like here, you code this. You're not my boss. I'm going to make this and give it to you. And then they're like, not good enough. Here's red lines. Ugh, I hate you. It's just this ping pong match from hell. Yeah. Uh, that's, but I like the, I think that pairing is awesome. I, I think, I don't know, just making people talk to each other is kind of <laughs> a miraculous thing. <laughs> Yeah, and also like the waterfall thing tends to fuel the like it's not my problem anymore kind of thing. Whereas like basically to ship a product or to ship a design, it's everyone's problem until the thing's out the door. So like devs, designers, front end devs, everyone has to work together until that thing's out. I love that. I'd like to try. I, I was going to also not to <laughs> over sponsorify the podcast, but. Having your whole company go to something like an online conference like RWD Summit or an in-person conference could really help too. Because then you're getting everyone with the same data. Like they all have the same, uh, mm. I don't know. That's a good point. They all say point the same reference. stuff. I, Shared experience. I definitely agree with that for sure. Mm, very smart. Uh, okay, we have one here from Tim Rourke. Who writes and he did a he did an audio question, but I'm just gonna like speed it along. I think uh, my client needs a CRM for his nonprofit. He wants to uh, a use the CRM to provide user functionality, like collect basic info about folks using his site. So it sounds 
like a CRM, use the CRM to perform uh, sales, manage a database of potential and existing donors to his nonprofit, so like statuses for the, the customers, use the CRM to publish email newsletters, integrate the contact records with MailChimp or another similar service. So Tim, he started out asking, that's kind of why I wanted to read this, is he's, he framed this like, I want to... Alter WordPress to do this. I want to like use use a use WordPress in some way to build the CRM for my client. Um, and I thought that was kind of interesting because I, I, I guess we could go. Let me just finish this question. I guess uh, because WordPress always already gives me this handy user login system and easy access to an SQL database. I'm considering building this functionality directly as a simple WordPress plugin for its use. Is this a good idea or bad? Also, I'm a front end guy, not an application developer. Would a system built with custom post types and fields get me far enough along this path? And yeah, you kind of get the point, right? So Tim is mm-hmm. like feels f- fairly comfortable with WordPress, wants to kind of build this thing for his client because he feels like he probably maybe could pull it off, even though he's a front end guy, you know. But WordPress, you know, <laughs> gives people muscles. <laughs> Uh, what do you think? Uh, I guess I have a thought, but let's do a round robin on how should Tim approach this, Dan? Uh, so, um, it's been a while since I've touched, um, you know, like an, an actual, like full on CMS, but if I was to tackle this, I would probably start in a similar fashion. So I would want to start by something that was already built, have as much as possible done and then see how far I could get with, um, like building out the exact need from there. But like the things that he mentioned, like having the database already, having a login system, uh, having like custom post types, all those things to build on is kind of a, a good way to start. And then you figure out if you need to go build that off on your own. Mm-hmm. So it would be like use use a CRM. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's what my advice would be too. It's like why yeah. why do you have a bee in your bonnet here to to build this yourself? It's like don't unless you think that the, you've already identified that this functionality doesn't exist in in, in a, an existing product, which would be surprising because these things don't seem like that they're that complicated of things. I wouldn't doubt that there's already a WordPress plugin that does it, or more likely, there's a CRM product out there that you can just use and that you might be more happy doing because then you have to do zero work instead of some work. Although I wonder if then. That like makes you obsolete, Tim. Which maybe that would be the bummer part of that. What do you think, Dave? Uh, I would probably agree with you guys. I would actually the first thing I would do is like Google for which I did <laughs> is Google WordPress Salesforce, which is like <laughs> the biggest enterprise CRM. And every time I say their name, they give me a thousand dollars. It's great. Um, I wish that was true. <laughs> that's not true. I wish though, but, um, <laughs> too bad. Um, but, uh, so I, I would look to see like what exists and I, I would most likely try to get my WordPress data captures to sync over some kind of API to Salesforce and then Salesforce can do its tricks like managing last point of contact and uh, save this person's dog's last name sort of thing. It, that can do Salesforce-y stuff. Uh, that's kind of interesting that you're WordPress. taking it from the perspective of that the WordPress probably is powering the rest of his website too. So he's like, mine is... Right, I was thinking it's probably a, I see. powering some kind of... Uh, some kind of login system. But if it's not, if it's just a gravity form, like, Hey, contact us. Like I, I think send all, you could probably get a embeddable form from any CRM to just like shoot it out to the, to the Salesforce or whatever CRM, sugar CRM, whatever you're doing. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, if you, if you have accounts, like use WordPress's account system. I don't know that you're super going to beat it um, for your WordPress stuff, but if you don't have accounts, just send data to somewhere else. Don't, don't try to shoehorn a fully functioning CRM into your like non profity stuff. I don't know into, into your just normal WordPress website, just send data (laughs) 
It says Dennis <laughs> in the chat. <laughs> Uh, let's end with this one where we get to kind of reason about uh, a UX uh, issue that Ricardo Muniz Crespo writes in oh shoot he sent in pronunciation I didn't do it you can follow that link Dave if you want Uh, (laughs) (laughs) all right here go ahead keep going and I will Ricardo Muniz and then Dave will do his last name in a minute here writes in that my question concerns the registration form for a web app, or we could just, it could be anything, right? A newsletter, but what it is though, is he's asking about um, the username field and the password field. Classic thing that we've all seen on signup forms. He said, I saw a debate going on online whether or not the user email address um, or password requires verification. Email address may be required to be typed in twice as the user might misspell it on the first try. So now we have a login form or a sign up form rather that has two emails and one password. However, uh, uh, they may have a tendency to just copy and paste, which you could block with JavaScript or whatever. But you know, the UX there is it's it's kind of a problem if you type in your email address wrong so let's ask you to do it twice because that will reduce that uh, but we probably even more commonly is the is the one where there's two password fields like they want to make sure that you get your password right so if you're really trying to get both then you have four fields right you have two emails and two passwords and it's pretty weird. So I, you know, Ricardo's just saying what's what's the best solution for this these weird problems and uh I don't know. I just thought it would be fun for us to think about a little bit. Do you do you do you ever see ones that ask for email twice? I feel like it's more common to see password twice, isn't it? Yeah, email is usually more on like from what I've seen, like state level or like government uh, sites. Mm. Typically, like make you repeat the email. Um, yeah, but, but I see password doubled a lot. Yeah, it's pretty weird. That I mean, that's what I would say too. I think maybe if you could say these days in quotes, I mostly see neither of them repeated. It's just like just do it, you know. Like the most popular thing is now to rely on email. So like you would, as long as you have the email as an app, you know, owner, you can contact them. You can send them a password, even if it's a temporary one. You can create an account with an email, right. um, and so like all of that stuff can happen just off of the email. So maybe double checking that. But other than that, I've run into a lot of apps recently where you sign up. But then to continue, you have to go to your email and then go from there. Right. Yeah. That's the like the email verification technique. Right. So and so like you're saying, in both of those scenarios, the most important thing is to get the email address right. Because even if they got the password wrong or something, or they typed, you know, they typed in hamburger two but meant to type hamburger three or something. Well, you got their email. So the worst thing that can happen is they just send a password reset and then they're good, you know. Right. But if they mistype their email, then you got nothing. You have no way to contact them because it's wrong. So that's that's pretty tough. So I would say definitely don't repeat the password because who cares? Because you can just send a password reset or whatever. And I think that's obnoxious anyway. And possibly the way to solve that is just to not, or, or to at least lessen the pain there is to do the thing where you just don't do the bullet points. You just do type equals text instead of type equals pass, password. On password forms because it's you know it's starting to be largely regarded as kind of security theater those little dumb little dots you know yeah it's just not that important so if you just show them the password you know maybe they'll the chances of them mistyping it the first time when they're choosing it is would be a little less I don't know do you get any thoughts mm-hmm. to no I like that you brought that up I just watched Jeremy Keith's Austin event apart yeah I was uh, there talk. for that oh yeah. He kind of talks about that. He's just like, so I added a hide, po- hide password checkbox, and that solved the problem. So right, so I, I, that's how he solved it. Was that it's not just making that choice universally uh, to show the password, but to put a checkbox there that's like, okay, if if you still like, if you're still worried about, you know, somebody looking over your shoulder or whatever when you're typing in a password, there's a little checkbox, and you click it, and then it's type equals password, and then it has the dots, and you're all good. So it's kind of like best of both worlds scenario, which is pretty smart stuff. Mm-hmm. I would say, Ricardo, I would just go with 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 one of each. Um, the the email being the most important one to get right, and maybe there's some some UX stuff that you can do to help them not get that wrong. 
for example, I've seen ones where if you type like Gmail or some, you know, like you miss, you, you type the character's Gmail, Gmail. incorrectly, yeah. <laughs> then it like the I before the A or something, it'll just be like, did you mean Gmail? You know, mm. uh, right? And you can have some um, HTML5 email validation on it to make sure that at least it's in the right format of an email. You know, there, there's things you can, little things you can do to help, but. Yeah. Certainly, that's probably better to just have one of each and do the best you can to get the right email and call it a day. Yeah, I think less is best is typically the form design thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like the less fields, the more successful the form will be or whatever. For sure. How do you guys handle email at at Code School as as far as like, I'm sure certainly you have an unsubscribe thing in the emails. But what does that actually do? Does it does it like take them to a setting screen or does it just instantly opt them out? Do you ask for feedback of why they're leaving? What's your whole process with that stuff? Um it it depends on like the type of email. So the promotional ones that come from Mailchimp, they have like the direct unsubscribe in them. So that is like one ma- main list of like basically like promotional or newsletter emails. And so if they unsubscribe, they're taken off right away from that. Um, and then what we've been working on is implementing a good way to select which transactionals that you don't want to receive. Right now, transactionals just go out. And so we're trying to fix that because um, there are some people that do not want to receive like even like a congratulations on completing a course and those kind of things. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So that's kind of where we're at. Like at CodePen, you can, you can unsubscribe to... Um, to to emails really easily. There's an unsubscribe link in every email that we send out, whether it's newsletter or whatever. But it, what it happens when you click it is that whether you're logged in or logged out, I, I was very strong about this. Like I hate it when an app asks you to log in to change your email preferences. You know, because chances are, you know, you don't care about that service anymore. That's why you don't want them. But what it does is it just unsubscribes you from everything. Like if you were logged in, you can pick I want this kind of email and this kind of email, the loved, I want comments, but not, you know, the newsletter. But if you click the link, you just get nothing. Like as soon as you've clicked it, you just get nothing. And I like I it should probably be a little smarter than that, you know. It should probably take you to a screen that's allows you to 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 fine grain customize it. Or one big like if you want nothing, there should be a big button that says send me nothing ever. Which I'm fine yes. with, but some people don't want that. Like just because right. you like you got five, you know, somebody loved your pen emails and you were annoyed by that, you still might want new comment emails. You know, yeah, just I definitely com- think it needs to be separated. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say one other thing for signup forms is have a bunch of arbitrary rules around password strength, like. It must contain three numbers, and Ugh. none of them can be prime. And it must contain seven, uh, I don't know, uh, Greek characters. Just have a, make sure to make it super hard for people, I think. To, <laughs> that angers me. <laughs> it's awful. When like you're using one password and it's like not strong enough, and it's like you have one password cranked up to the max, <laughs> and it's like not strong enough because it doesn't have a star. Yeah, I Ugh. I tend to leave the password generator at like thirty characters or so too, and I'm always surprised at places that limit your password length too. I'm like, really? What the heck does that matter? Are you literally trying to save space in your database? Right. On passwords? Is that why? Or what? I don't like, I, I'm, that's just me guessing. Maybe there is a legit reason, but I kind of doubt it, you know? Well, and it should get salted to like a 32 character string regardless. I mean, that's like a, a tip that they haven't like salted their database, I think. Uh, right? Could like be. They have a limit. Could be. Yeah. Or there's just some stray uh, cap put on it in a, you know, a config RB somewhere. <laughs> Uh, uh, fix it. <laughs> you know what grinds my gears? All right. Uh, hey, we should wrap it up. Dan. Danny, thank you so much for coming on the Shop Talk show. Before we go, how can people follow you, give you money, and then what's one thing you'd like to plug before you go? Oh, well, thank you guys very much for having me. This was awesome. Um, I'm at Dan Denny on Twitter. It's spelled a little weird. There's an extra E in there. 
before to the these y. two ends i learned <laughs> ah nice um and uh money i don't uh, that we're fine with that just the twitter is good um and one thing i'd like to plug we already talked about the conference so i'll share a secret i'm working on a course for html email design and so that'll be coming out in the next couple of months on code school so check that out Ooh. nice there you go Awesome. Well, thank you very much. And thanks everyone for coming out and listening in the chat room. We really appreciate that. Thank you for downloading this and your podcatcher of choice. Be sure to vote us up to the top of the ranks. Number one. And yeah. Uh, thanks as always, Chris, you got, Oh, Chris, you got anything else you'd like to yes, say? Yes, I do. I get, do. <laughs> how do people get jobs? That's my question. Oh, yeah, I should. Lightly sponsored by the Code Pen and, and Shop Talk Show job board, shoptalkshow.com slash jobs. Uh, if you go to post a job on it, you'll hop over to the, the Code Pen job board to do it. But there's an option there when you post a job that if you'd like us to talk about your job on Shop Talk Show, we'll do that. And we'll do it right here at the end, right when people are like, oh, I'm bored. Shop Talk Show's over. Now I'm bored. What should I do? And I have to go I back go to my dumb at, job. Yes. I wish I had a new job. <laughs> Exactly. I think it's perfectly placed. I also have this new idea about the future of HTML email. There should be this like middle ground kind of email where it's mostly like text email, but you have the ability to just, you can set a little bit of light typography and then you can make words links, you know, like anchor links, but that's it. You know, like, I don't know if we need tech to do that. We probably can just have them be HTML email. But I was like, there's that type of HTML email that I don't see enough of, you know, that doesn't use any layout. It just sets like nice typography and makes words freaking links, which you can't do in text email. Anyway, that's my whole stance in life. I'll send you a link for something cool for that, too. Nice. We'll put it in the show notes. All right. right. Shopdocshow.com.